few years ago, a movie came out entitled Unstoppable. Don't know if you've seen it or not, but the premise of the whole movie, what a great name, by the way, Unstoppable. And the premise of the movie was about a runaway train that uh, was full with all kinds of toxic chemical liquids, and it's barreling through uncontrollably through, uh, through the countryside, and it's making its way closer and closer to a densely populated city. Oh, my. What's going to happen? And through the course of the movie, no matter what barriers are placed in its way, no matter what the engineers try to do, either on the train or off the train, they just can't seem to stop it or even slow this thing down. Well, Fast forward one hour, 38 minutes later, at the very end of the movie, you can guess what happens. The train is indeed stopped. It stopped there on the tracks, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, hooting and hollering in the movie theater. They're excited. It's finally stopped. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, I just got duped, right? I just paid. It, it, truly, this was not unstoppable. If this train had been unstoppable, then an hour and 38 minutes later, I would be leaving with this train still barreling through on the tracks, right? And, but in this particular case, it wasn't that way. It was stopped by something, or in this particular case, by someone, spoiler alert, Denzel Washington, <sighs> all right? And so he, he stopped. He's able to be able to stop the train, Well, you know what? In this particular case, something that was unstoppable was not truly unstoppable. I think a better title would be uh, almost unstoppable, kind of unstoppable, sort of unstoppable. But I don't know what a great title that would be. But it indeed was stopped. If you want to see something truly unstoppable, then you just need to look at Acts chapter 5. Because what we find is the spread of the gospel throughout the whole world is one force that is truly unstoppable. No matter what barrier seems to keep it from progressing, no matter what power seems to act on it to try to constrain it, to keep it moving forward from person to person, it just fails. The the gospel and it moving forward is truly unstoppable. In chapter 4, we saw the religious leaders in our study of the book of Acts try to do all they could to stop and to silence uh, the disciples of Jesus Christ to no avail. Now in chapter 5, we just read it all the way through this chapter, you see barrier after barrier after barrier of the religious leaders going, we're going to use our power to be able to stop this nonsense and to keep the gospel from moving forward. But yet, when you get to the end, the very last scene of this chapter, almost like a movie, What we find is in chapter, in verse 42 says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The spread of the gospel just kept on going. Now, this is good news for us. Why? Because before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he commanded the church, that's you if you're a part of his church, to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. He also promised us in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, he promised us that the, that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth and then the end would come. And what does that mean? What end? He means the end of the age that you and I are living in. This church age will come at the culmination of Jesus returning again. Jesus Christ is coming again. You, you do know that, right? I hope you're prepared. I hope you're ready. He is going to come again. And so what the Bible teaches us is because we know he's coming again, then we can be assured that the gospel will continue to go forth to every tribe, tongue, and nation, and people group because he says, I will come when that has ultimately been 
accomplished. So we know that the gospel is unstoppable. So the whole chapter, let me tell you this, is very similar to parts of chapter 4. The whole big idea of this passage is truly that the gospel is unstoppable. But what's beautiful about it is it also gives us a hint of why it's unstoppable. And it actually gives us three different reasons, but I shall give you only one. And here's why. The message is entirely too long. When I've written 14 pages on one sermon, I can't get that out in 30 minutes, right? So you can praise God this morning for one thing. And that is my sermon has only one point. But before you get too excited, it's got five subpoints. All right, and so, so one point, five subpoints. What is the point? The point is simply this: is the gospel is unstoppable because of God's supernatural power, because of God's supernatural power. Now let's take a look at this for a minute. Let's unpack it. Let's explain it. Find out what's going on. As the disciples of Jesus continue to perform wonders and miracles in Jesus' name, and as more and more people continue to come to faith in Jesus Christ, the religious leaders, specifically the Sadducees, begin to become more and more bent out of shape. It appears when you read the Gospels that it was the Pharisees that kept trying to oppose Christ, but now it seems as though it's the Sadducees that are taking the role to try to bring opposition against the early church. In fact, we read that here in verse 17. Notice, if you will, he says, But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and they put them in public prison. So the high priest, along with all the other religious leaders, were jealous of the disciples. They were sick and tired of these uneducated country bumpkins stealing their fame and their fortune. So in an attempt to establish and to reestablish their power, to display their power for everybody to see, they arrest the disciples and they put them in a public prison. Now, this public prison is important to note that it's not some out-of-the-way secret prison somewhere else. This is, we're not talking about a prison in Rayford, Florida, right, where, where you, you don't even know it's there unless you're going to a Gator game or something like that. And so you don't know it's there. This was a public prison, which would have been right smack dab in the middle of the city. And the reason that they're doing it is because they want to send a message, They want everybody to know, they want everybody to see the humiliation of the disciples and their power on display for all to see so that everybody knows if you decide that you're going to continue to preach in Jesus' name and continue to share the gospel, we want you to be well aware we have the power to stop you and to shut you up. That's the whole point of why they're ultimately doing this. And we see that even though this is their plan and this is what they're thinking, it really wasn't the case. Something amazing happens in verse 19. Notice, the Bible says, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life, meaning the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And he says, And when they heard this, they entered the the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now, Understand something very quickly. This is a supernatural act of God. Would you agree? Some, some scholars have said, you know, no, this probably wasn't an actual angel. It was probably just code for some secret guy that worked in the prison named Julio that they knew. And they were friends and they got him out and they, they worked their way. But the, the, the truth is, there's no other way to read this but to know that this is a supernatural power of God, act of God, that, a, that an angel comes unlocks the doors while, this, while the guards are still standing guard, gets them out without them being heard, and then says, 
go and continue to do what you were doing before you were ultimately arrested. So get this, the next morning, religious leaders wake up. Now this is in the text, this is sanctified imagination, all right? So this is, this is them waking up, and as they're waking up, they're stretching, oh, what a wonderful night's sleep I've had. I haven't slept this well forever. I slept well because I knew that these turkeys were in jail all night. And finally, we've shut them up. And, and right as they're drinking their caramel lattes infused with almond milk, grande size, they, 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 at that very, very moment, something is ultimately happening. What's happening? Those that they believe were in prison were actually back at it again in the temple, the very place that they were arrested, sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a, a miracle of God. Yes, you, you agree with me. And they get to the point at this, at this point where they are stunned. The Bible actually says in verse 24 that they were greatly perplexed, greatly perplexed, which means that the power of God left them going, I don't understand what happened. I, I don't know what in the world is going on. Here's kind of how it worked. When they, when they got to work the next day, they tell the guards, they're all sitting there going, okay, we're going to show these guys what's up. What are we going to do? Okay, let's make a game plan. Go and get them. Sends sends these guards over, and the guards come back, and when the guards come back, they go, um, they're not there. And they go, what do you mean they're not there? Well, it means that they're not there. We literally went over, the guards are standing there, the doors are locked, but there's nobody inside. Yeah, but, but how, can, how is that even possible? Where are they? And the guards scratching the head are like, all right, let me say it this way. Here's the prison. Here's the steeple. We opened the door, and there were no people, all right? And so they can't, they, they don't know where it is. And the Bible says they're, they're besides themselves. They're perplexed. They don't know how in the world any of this could have possibly happened. So the supernatural power of God leaves the powerful perplexed. But not only does it leave them perplexed, it renders them powerless. Because when, they, when they're all sitting there trying to figure this whole thing out, all of a sudden somebody comes in and goes, what's going on? They're like, we're looking for the guys that we arrested last night. And he goes, oh, I just saw them in the temple. They're over there preaching. And they're like, well, go get them. So the guards go and get them, but they don't take them by force. Normally they'd be like, come with us, you know, like a mad parent, you know, grabbing you by the scruff of the neck. You come with me. And they don't do that. They get there and it's more something like this because they're afraid that the people are going to stone them. Excuse me, sirs, I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind coming with us. Your presence has been requested with the religious leaders. Do you mind doing us a, a favor and, and come with us? And so they came with us. They, they literally were left perplexed and powerless by the supernatural act of God. And so they had intended to teach the disciples a lesson, but it was they that had learned a lesson. The Sadducees' display of power did nothing but provoke an, un, an opportunity for God to display his supernatural power, rendering them both perplexed and powerless while at the same time continuing to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to get to why that's important a little bit later in this service, but here's the idea. God has supernatural power that can trump any power that would seek to oppose God's people in propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is an immense encouragement to everyone who is seeking to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anybody who sits there and says, hey, listen, I'm a disciple of God, and I want to be a part of making sure that, that we are faithful to the Great Commission, you know that you've run up 
to all kinds of different difficulties, all types of different hardships, all types of different barriers with your friends, with your family, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with strangers around the community, around the world. There's been times where we've wanted to go to certain countries and we would be restrained from being able to go there. There were friends that you want to share and, 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 and there's been difficulties there. And this power is letting us know that in the midst of that, in the midst of that in discouragement, there needs to be no discouragement because God has the power to make sure that his gospel still goes forth no matter what power is rendered against them. Now, here's, here's where I find myself, and this is why I couldn't preach verse, or the, the second and third point, is because I got stuck here. And I got stuck here because I kept thinking to myself, when, when I'm reading this, how I long to see the supernatural acts of God. How I long to see this type of thing. And as I'm reading the Word of God, Maybe you feel the same exact way. You, can't, you read Old Testament, New Testament, you, read, you see all these things and you're like, God, I so desire to be able to see you work this way. And then we kind of have to begin to ask the question, why don't we see God working in this way? Why don't we see more of these supernatural acts? of Anybody with me on this at all? So what I want to do is the remainder of the service, I want to try to answer that question for you the best that I possibly can. And this might be a disaster, but just, it's all right. Along for the ride, you can just enjoy the disaster. But, 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 but let me give you a couple reasons. It's more than a couple. It's five. Um, reasons of why I think we don't see this as much. Take note of this. Number one, supernatural acts of God have never been common. The supernatural acts of God have never been common. If they were common or what we might call natural, then they wouldn't be supernatural, right? They would just be every day. They would be normal. Supernatural power is power outside of the regular natural world that we see, that we live in on a regular basis. If, if something is supernatural, it goes beyond the regular rules of science and the laws of physics, our problem oftentimes is we use words like supernatural and miracle all the time, right? I mean, you, you, your child graduates from high school and you're sitting there going, it's a miracle. It is a miracle. And you're sitting back going, well, technically it's not. Maybe you've heard people all the time. Say, See, some of you are still going, no, it really is. You know, no matter how much we say. Sometimes you'll hear about the miracle of childbirth. Now, I want to be sensitive to this with this because I don't want ugly emails, all right? And so, but here's the idea is, is really... If a healthy man, a healthy woman who are married come together and, and they consummate their marriage and, and, and they have a child, it's really not technically by definition a miracle because it's not outside of the norm of God's created order. He created a man to be a man, a woman to be a woman, and for them to be able to procreate in such a way that has all to do with how things naturally function. Now, if you are like a woman in the Old Testament, New Testament, where you are incapable of having a child, uh, scientifically it's impossible, and somehow God opens up your womb, allows you to be able to do that, then we can begin to call that a miracle, right? But normally, on every day, the truth is, we may call things supernatural, we may call things miracles, but there are very few, they are very uncommon, the things that we ultimately see on a day-to-day -day basis. And so sometimes we look, and so how are we to understand the Scriptures? Because the truth is, when you look through human history, through the lenses of the Scriptures, you do see periods of time when these acts of God are far more common than at other times. Would you agree? We see it in the Old Testament with, 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 with the Exodus, with Moses calling out uh, God's people from Egypt. There's miracle after miracle, sign after sign, wonder after wonder. 
We see it in, in a specific time with Elijah and Elijah's life. Remember the floating axe head? That doesn't happen every day, right? And so all these miracles. And then we see another clump of miracles, the most we've ever seen in the coming of Jesus Christ in the three years of his public ministry. And then we see it here in the beginning of the birth of the church. We see the same kind of supernatural activity by God doing things that are beyond what we would understand in our own particular world. And we begin to see them. But here's what I want you to understand. Even in those times when they were happening, they were still uncommon. It's why every time they happen through the book of Acts, it says the people were what? Amazed. You're not amazed by something that happens every day. Every day I wake up and I'm not sitting there going, I'm amazed. I, I, I woke up. I'm amazed. I, I ate oatmeal. This oatmeal is amazing, right? It's something ordinary. It's, it's every day. Maybe it shouldn't be, but it's something that is every day. And so what we find is even though, listen, here's what, I want you to hear me carefully. Even though the supernatural acts of God are not common, it does not mean they do not exist. It does not mean that God does not still do supernatural things. It does not mean that God cannot or that he will not act in this particular way when he believes it is sovereignly necessary to be able to do so. Are you with me? You're with me so far. So the first idea is the reason we don't often see it is because these, natural, these supernatural acts are not common. They've never been common. In fact, even here, right? You, you look at these guys, you look at these guards, would they have been perplexed if this, was, if this was natural, if this was normal? No. They would have gotten back and go, hey, they're out of the jail again. They would have all sat around going, God, God did it again. We put him in, he takes it out, he does this every single time, right? They wouldn't have been perplexed. They would have assumed that this is what God was doing. But even when it was happening more often, it was still uncommon, but it doesn't mean that God can't or won't work in a supernatural way, especially when it comes to the advancing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second thing, supernatural acts of God are sometimes unnoticed. Sometimes they just go unnoticed. When you go back, remember one of those sections of time I talked about Elijah and Elisha? If you go back there, you need to read this. It's, it's a wondrous passage of Scripture. And, and, and there we read about one time when the Syrians surround Israel, the entire city. And they surround this, and, 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 and Elisha's servant wakes up one morning, he wakes up, and, and they're completely surrounded by the Syrian army, and he's completely panicking. And he comes to Elisha, and he says, what is it that I should do? What, what should we do? And he tells him, he says, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, and he said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that we may see. And, and, and so the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Can you b imagine that man? At first, he can't see anything. He doesn't have the ability to be able to see what's actually in reality happening around him. God gives him the grace to see, and he sees, you know what? God was working all of this time. These, these chariots of fire are not of the Assyrians. They are of God. The very next chapter, again, God begins to work without them even being aware. Because they were coming around the city, they were trying to besiege it and starve them out. Well, there were four lepers that were locked out of the gate. They couldn't get any food to be able to survive because there were no food inside of the city. So in chapter 7, so in chapter seven they go, hey, let's go to the Assyrian camp. Maybe they'll have compassion on us and give us a couple, I don't know, burritos or something. And so they begin to go over. But before they go... 
an angel of the Lord comes and makes a sound of a great army. The Assyrians become so afraid that they flee and they run for their lives. And so here come the four lepers coming in, half arm, half leg, wimping, you know, limping in. And all of a sudden, there's a full camp of the Assyrians. Everything is there, all the tents, all the camels, all the donkeys, all the, all the food, all the riches. And they show up and they don't have a clue of the supernatural work that had happened before they showed up. I'm telling you that I believe that God still works in supernatural ways, and many times, just like he does here in chapter 5, that when you and I are going to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it be around the world or across the street, we will have no idea how many supernatural acts of God had taken place to get us exactly where we are to share that gospel, and we may be fully unaware and that's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter, excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says, some have entertained angels, what? Unaware. Unaware. Number three, supernatural acts of God are sometimes absent because of a lack of faith. This is the point that I want to be most careful about right now because there's so much misconception today and so much false teaching. I got to make sure that I clearly unpack this for you. When I say that sometimes supernatural acts of God are sometimes absent because of a lack of faith, I'm not speaking of the type of faith that people teach concerning some kind of inward, self-induced confidence, right? Like, I just need to believe enough, and if I could just believe enough and not doubt at all, then God will ultimately do the very things that I'm asking him to do. If, 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 if within myself I can stir up that kind of confidence and that kind of faith, I don't... I don't mean that kind of faith because I do not believe that's the type of faith that the Bible teaches. Do you guys understand what, I'm, what the kind of faith I'm talking about? I'm talking about the kind of faith that shipwrecks people all the time. I'm talking about when I was in Roanoke, Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, when I'm sitting in the waiting room with a husband, a, a husband and, and his wife, and their child is back in the emergency room, and they're working on them, and they believe somebody sold them a bill of goods that said, if you just have enough faith, if you could just inwardly make sure that there's no doubt, then God will heal that child. The healing of your child is dependent on your ability for you to be able to have enough faith for God to be able to heal. That is a horrible and destructive place to be. That child died, and what do you think that does to the parents? I killed my own child because I couldn't muster up enough faith. That is bogus. Completely opposite of what the Bible teaches about what true faith ultimately looks like. You say, well, what does faith look like? It's not an inward self-induced confidence, but it's an unwavering obedience to God's revealed will. It's people sitting there going, God, my faith in you is that you know what is right and you are my God and you are my leader and you're my savior. And as you say it, I will do it. That's faith, no matter what the consequences. No matter what I'm going to do, no matter whether I lose a job, no matter whether somebody gets angry with me or I lose a family member, I'm just going to trust you that this is the right thing to ultimately do. And this is precisely what happened here. In verse 28, again, he says, we strictly charge you, religious leaders talking to them, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet there you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood against us. Notice how Peter and the apostles answered. The Bible says we must obey God rather than man. And then then what do they do? They begin to continue to be more obedient by sharing the gospel, the whole gospel. They know that these guys are threatening them to either beat them or even putting them in prison. They've already done to beat them, which they will do. And they're afraid, and they could be thinking they might even put us to death. But what do they do? They don't shy back. They're even more obedient. They turn on them and they say, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. They're not watering down the gospel at all. 
They're being obedient even though their obedience might cause them great harm. That's faith. And you say, well, what does all that mean? They obeyed God. It got them in trouble. And God had the power to get them. Catch this. Maybe, just maybe, the reason that you and I don't experience God's supernatural power in rescuing us in a time of need is because the faith, our faith, has never led us to get in the type of trouble that requires supernatural rescuing. And in other words, maybe you and I have not gotten ourselves in trouble. We've gotten ourselves in trouble a lot for doing the wrong thing. Maybe we haven't gotten our trouble in, in trouble enough for doing the right thing to actually be able to see supernatural act of God to be able to reserve us and to be able to get us out of it. Number, th- number four. Supernatural acts of God are sometimes not seen because we lack the right motivation. We lack the right motivation. People today often want to see miraculous signs. When I, when I said in the very beginning, it's where I had you the most. Preachers talk about in preacher classes what we do. You got to get them. You got to get them in the beginning of the service. Because if you don't get them, they're just going to fall asleep for the rest of the way. I had some of you in the beginning. When I said we want to see miraculous things, I saw some of you pipe up and go, yeah, baby, all right? The problem is, is many times our desire to see miraculous things are all from the wrong motivation. Many people go around and are running around from church to church trying to just see or to feel something or the presence of God or the move of God, and they just want to experience something. It reminds me of, do you guys remember the movie The Incredibles? Remember that? And it's been like forever, I think, Part two is supposed to come out. And if you want to go see that movie with me and my family, um, I want to join you whenever it comes out. Um, and everything, we'll save a seat somewhere for you. Um, but, but Incredibles, here's what happens. Mr. Incredible, if you don't know the story, he's a superhero. Problem is, they got fired. They're not allowed to be out in public practicing superhero stuff anymore. So he has an office job. And so he sits in a cubby, and he's this giant man in this little cubicle. Now, some of you are not superheroes, and you work in a cubicle, so you can imagine what this does to his mind, right? He wants to be out doing superhero things. And so he's frustrated. He gets into his little car. He drives home. He gets out of the car. He slips on a skateboard, I think it is, when he gets home, and he, and he falls down. And when he falls and he hits the car, he crumples like half the car right? And he he can't really get the door shut. And so he's uh, uh, trying to shut it and he breaks the glass. And he's so frustrated at this point, he picks up the car and he's ready to throw it. And a little neighbor boy next door in a little tricycle sits there with eyes like this and a bubble goes pop and just pops. And then you don't hear anything of him. A little bit later, he comes home again. Mr. Incredible comes, Mr. Incredible. Anyway, comes home. And and as he comes home, uh, there, there, he shuts the door and he's just walking around the car. And there's this little boy again. And, and, and And he looks over to the little boy and he goes, what are you waiting for? He goes, I don't know. Something amazing, I guess. He's just looking. And there are so many people who are, quote, followers of Jesus, that they're not even following Christ. All they're looking for is something amazing, something to entertain them. This is exactly the type of people that were following Christ when he first came. Jesus was performing miracles, and the Bible says that Jesus knew what was in their hearts, so he refused to give himself to them. And then eventually he says, I will give you no more signs except for one, and that is the sign of Jonah. That is, what was he talking about? His death, burial, and his resurrection on the third day. Because he would not give himself to people that he knew that they weren't there for him. They were there for the stuff. They were there for the entertainment. They were there for the show. 
And they weren't there about the person of Jesus Christ. The other motivation I think that is difficult and when we read this in a passage like this is not just an entertainment, but there's another uh, element of selfishness. When we get here and we go, wow, they, they rescued. Here, here's, here's how our minds believe. Wow, God had the power to be able to rescue them out of their difficulty. And then how is that normally applied? Then the preacher gets up and goes, hey man, you're in difficulty. God can rescue you out of it too. Hey, you got yourself in trouble. Now God can get out of you too. Yeah, I know you got yourself in a pickle. And here's what I'm saying. We could preach a whole other sermon about how God can rescue us in all kinds of difficulties that we've gotten ourselves in, but that's not what this text is about. This text is about not applied to those who are trying to get God to give them their best life now. This passage is about a God who is caring for those who put God first and His will first in pursuit after Him. But we even have to be careful there. Because this story is not a get-out-of-jail-free story. This doesn't mean that if you give your life and, you, and one day we can't, it's illegal to be able to share the gospel. You share the gospel, you open up to this passage and go, all right, God, I'm waiting for you. Come on, angel. Open it up. Because even in the book, we do see Jesus uh, uh, bring people out of prison, like in, like in Acts chapter 12. But right before, in the beginning of Acts chapter 12, we see James who was in prison and then he's put to death. It's not something common that they ultimately do. So what is this about? It's in essence about the fact, once again, is that God is about God. And God is about His gospel going forth. And if He sees fit to take out His people or act in a supernatural way to allow them to continue to propagate the gospel as He sees fit, He is more than capable of doing it. So the key is that your and my motivation any time that we are requesting the supernatural act of God, when we find ourselves completely helpless, let us do it with the desire, first and foremost, for God's glory, not our own. Amen? Finally. And you're like, praise God, my favorite word. Finally. The supernatural acts of God are rare, but God's common word is sufficient. I want you to hear that. But God's common word is sufficient. In verse 33, this is what we notice. It says, after they, they explain this, it says, when, when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill him. So this is what the story looks like. They look like they've had enough of this. We're going to put him to death, except a man by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a rabbi, well-respected rabbi, the text says. In fact, he was actually the tutor of the apostle Paul before he was converted. And everybody respects this man, and he gets up, and he just simply says, Hey, men, uh, we, we need to be careful on how we're dealing with these guys. He knew that they were wanting to kill him. So he gets up, and he says, Look, he says, he says we've had men like this happen before. And he brings up two different men, uh, Theodos and, and Judas. And historically, I don't know who these men are. Uh, there's some, some discrepancies there about who, who people think that they are. But the point was... As he says, there were other people who came and they tried to make a name for themselves, tried to be able to start a movement, and both of them completely failed. And he says, but what I want you to know is I want you to understand this, that if this is of man, it's just going to fail anyway. Just leave it there. But if it is of God, even this pagan man, listen to this. He says, even if it is of God, you cannot stop it. In fact, you will come up and you will be trying to work against God himself. That's what he ultimately says. Now, much has been made of this. 
And if you, you read commentators and teachers and experts on all this, they'll sit there and go, well, this was incredible advice. Somebody else is like, this is terrible advice. I don't think the point is about the advice. I, I don't think the point is, hey, man, we need to live our life like this. Hey, this is great. If you're a pacifist, you would love this. You love this. You never want to confront anybody about anything. This is your life verse, right? Something bad happens. Well, you know, it's not with God. It will just fall apart. Let's not, let's not mess with it. Because uh, we don't want to go against God either if it is against God. No, that's, it doesn't mean that we should never confront. It doesn't mean that we don't have to take action on particular points. But at this particular state, it was pretty good advice. It was just natural, normal, everyday advice. And here's the incredible part about it. The incredible part is, is that God used this ordinary man and this ordinary advice to be able to do what? To free his people. So they give that, they listen to it, they agree, they beat them, and they ultimately let them go. But then what do they do? They now go and they continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is there anything supernatural, as we would define, out of the ordinary that's happening with this ordinary man standing up and giving advice? No. But is it just as effective as all the supernatural? Is the common things of God is glory-filled and is wondrous because of its outcome? Is those things that are supernatural? No, it's still glorious. It's still wonderful. Let me give you two, two quick examples. So two of our M's who are on the field right now. One would be Jared and Whitney. Another one would be... Um, 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 of course, uh, Julie uh, in Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia, I just talked with both of them this last week. I was kind of telling them about what I was preaching. And I said, do you see God working in this way? And either one of them actually gave me examples of supernatural work of God that we would define as supernatural. That would just sit there and go, an angel up here? Wow. And they said, well, let me tell you what God has done. And, 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 and this is what Julie said. She said, she said, you know, we, we've been working in this one village over and over again. And there's been a few that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. But the elders of that particular village are very angry, very angry at these people who have converted uh, over to Christianity. And now they are threatening them, and they're threatening them with violence, and they're telling them if they keep it up that they are going to be beaten, maybe even killed. And he says, so because of the constant threats, they've decided to be able to move on. And so they've gone to a village next door, and there this small group of believers begin to share the gospel. And now there's, in essence, kind of a revival where the people in this little village who normally wouldn't have heard the gospel is now hearing the gospel. Now let me ask you, is there anything that appears to be supernatural about that? No, it seems to be very common. People are sitting there going, I don't want to be beaten. Let's go meet somewhere else. They go meet somewhere else. God is glorified by people coming by the droves to faith in Jesus Christ. Jared and Wynn said the same thing. We're reminded of the time that they spent in Ethiopia. And when we were working with the Karate people, the unreached people group, they had never heard the gospel, 8 million people. And we were working with them, some of the very first believers, a handful of believers that we were meeting with. And as we were meeting with them, uh, we knew, knew that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The problem is they couldn't read. They were a completely oral community. And so we begin to buy up all these little recording devices, and we wanted to translate the gospel and the word of God. This church sponsored that work, I praise God for it, and begin to find a way to be able to give these recording devices to the people so that they could hear the messages, they could hear the gospel, they could hear the word of God. The problem was is nobody from these people group who were believers was, could, could read so they, they couldn't really translate the way that they ultimately needed to, so they went and they found an unbelieving Muslim. <coughs> A committed Muslim. And he needed a job, and he says, okay, I'll go ahead and I'll read it for you. And he comes by, he begins to read it. God uses this man 
this Muslim, unbelieving Muslim, to read these, the, the Bible, record the Bible, and to be able to send these recording devices up. And we literally, because of it, saw hundreds and even thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ, including himself, came to faith in Jesus Christ through reading the Word. Is there anything that you and I would sit back and go, do supernatural stuff? No. But would there be any of us in here that would sit back and say that that was any less of the person of God working for His glory and advancing His gospel? No. So here's what I would say. And some of you would ask Nick to come wherever he is. And then he appears. <laughs> here's, here's, here's just what I would say. For some of you, and I kind of hit, it, hit on this in the beginning, for some of you, this message has just fallen on dead ears. Nothing in you has been stirred. Nothing has challenged you. And a very big reason for that can be very much is because, and I say this with all the love that I can, it's because you are very, very much about you. Your last concern in this world is the great commission that God has called you to. As we're preaching this, and even preaching through the book of Acts, your greatest desire is, is a sermon on divorce, or marriage, or help this, or help my finances. And when you hear about the propagation of the gospel and the supernatural power of God, that, 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 that no power is going to be able to impede the advancement of the gospel, you get nothing out of that. And what I would call you to is repentance. What I would call you to is go, God, there's too much me in this. There's too much me wanting to see things. There's too much me wanting this and that and, and too much for myself. What I pray today is that you would sit there and go, God, it is not about me. It is about you. And what I would ask you to do is join the movement. And you're joining the movement of what God is doing here and around the world begins by placing your faith in Jesus. Christ by repenting and going, God, I am lost. I am a sinner. I'm not born again. God, save me from my sins. I know that I'm deserving of hell, but I know that you paid it all through your son Jesus on the cross. I repent and I believe. Save me. That's how you begin the movement. But some may be saved, but you're still, you're so wrapped up in self. I pray that today that a message, if I were to preach this message next week, you would have repented to the point that you would find this a truly securing and confident and encouraging message to know that all of your efforts that you are making for the advancement of the gospel cannot be ultimately impeded because God's superior power. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning. God, again, we thank you that your gospel is unstoppable. And God, I thank you that the gospel is unstoppable because it allowed a man by the name of Myron 30-some-odd years ago, come and to be able to share the gospel with me and my dad and my family. And to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I thank you for that unstoppable gospel. I thank you for those who are here who are working and they're, they're trying to share the gospel at home and other places. And we look into our own country and schools are becoming more closed and the government is, 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 is requiring more laws and saying things are unconstitutional. It's for us to be able to speak about Jesus Christ. But in the midst of all of that, we look back 2,000 years ago and we see no matter what power comes against them, your supernatural power perplexes it all and renders it powerless. To you and you alone deserve glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.